Travels with John Smith Chapter 39, Year 5, 2016 Kofifi and Winding Down We are sipping watermelon juice, laying on sunbeds, looking at a small bay surrounded by limestone rocks jutting out of a turquoise sea in the distance. It is quiet apart from the occasional long, elegant wooden boat with noisy diesel motors taking people to the surrounding islands and waters. The bay we are facing is called Lo Dalam Bay and is part of the Adaman Sea. We are on an island called Kofifi Don, which is the biggest island in a group of islands about 48 kilometers from Phuket. We took a ferry to get here. They told us it would take an hour and a half, but it was more like two hours, plus an hour-long wait to actually leave Phuket, plus the stops it made for the people who were on the ferry as a day trip from Phuket, so probably more like four hours. We are kind of shattered as we took a direct midnight flight from Wuhan that got us to Phuket around 3.30 a.m., and then we took a taxi to the port, but nothing was open, so we sat on bus depot-like benches chatting with a French guy who lives in Shanghai until it was time to buy a ticket for the ferry. John said he saw a large rat run into one of the food and drink stalls that serve the people waiting for the ferries, so didn't want to order anything even when they opened. That stall looked like it was the only one doing smoothies, and I didn't see any rat bites on the mangoes, so ordered a mango and ginger fruit smoothie, which was delicious. I was, however, on the alert for the rat, as I didn't really like the idea of it running out from under the stall and up my leg. The boat was very big but also very crowded. We got a good seat on the top deck and as it was the first boat of the day it didn't get too hot until we were about an hour into the ride. It was lovely being on the sea though with glimpses of what was to come each time we passed a lonely huge limestone rock jutting up in the middle of the ocean on our way. On the way, we stopped in Kofifi Lei, which is one of the reasons that the group of islands became so famous. It was used as a location for the film The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio. It is very beautiful, but sadly it loses some of its beauty with the many tourist boats in the small bay in front. A few years ago, the first time I came to Thailand, I was lucky enough to be on a private boat with some good friends, and we arrived very early in the morning to this spot. The sun was just rising, and the water was calm, and the quiet little cove with its white sand surrounded by the tall and characteristic limestone walls around it was breathtakingly beautiful. We looked at this gorgeous natural backdrop while we ate our breakfast. Then we heard the jagged sounds of the longboat motors and many other kinds of boats 
and it got louder and more gaudy as boat after boat entered the cove until there was hardly a spot free. We had been traveling around the seas in that area, and it had been quiet and calm, so it was a rude awakening to how fortunate we were to have the freedom to go to different spots where there were no people at all. That said, the cliffs, clean white beaches, emerald sea, amazing corals, and marine life still make it an amazing place to go, and I wanted John to see it too while we were in this part of the world. We stopped at another place before finally arriving into the Kofifi Don's port, where it was mayhem, with all the people getting off, some for lunch and others like us to stay. It was hell getting off the boat with our bags, but luckily the hotel was very close to the pier, so we walked there in five minutes, and here we are with this lovely view. It is now the middle of the week, and we have truly settled into the holiday vibe. Every day we wake up as the sun is coming up and go to the breakfast room, which is really a kind of open-air terrace, and have a fairly copious breakfast. For the rest of the day, we lay in the sun or in the shade on the sun beds, drinking fresh smoothies and sometimes have a spicy seafood snack. We have a choice between swimming in the warm, gentle waves of the sea in front of us or a more refreshing dip in the large, double-kidney-shaped pool behind us. We read, sleep, and watch the slow, easy life around us, people walking up the beach, going out on the boats, or paddling around the bay in a canoe or surfboard. When the tide goes out, it goes really far out, so we might take a walk out as far as we can go on the flat white sand, past the beached boats and smaller dead coral clusters that are exposed to the sun. It is low season, so there are always plenty of chairs to sit in around the pool and never any crowds of people on this side of the island. We can never get enough of this view. At night, we walk into the village. There are no cars on the island, only carts that are pulled by hand that carry luggage or supplies to shops or restaurants. There are two main bays on the island, and our hotel is in the middle. The main entrance faces the bay where the pier is, and the other our view from the pool, stroke beach. Looking out from the port side of the hotel to the right is a small hospital and a few hotels, and to the left is the village, which is along the beach on that side and carries on up the hill. There are a couple little alleyways with hostels, shops, and restaurants. After the shops and restaurants, there are some huts along one path where many of the locals live, and if you carry on about five kilometers or three miles further up to the top of the cliff, there is a sunset viewing platform. We decide to walk up there, and on the sign at the bottom, it says it is 3,000 meters to get to the top. It doesn't sound too bad, so we carry on. 
We are now at the top, and I'm not sure I would have made it if I had done the math and figured out it was five kilometers up, especially since I'm wearing my flip-flops. The view is spectacular, and we can see the area where the hotel is below, and both bays and the scope of it all. There is a large wooden platform and a hut selling pad thai and other thai specialties and drinks, so there are a few people making an evening of it, looking at the sun setting. When we were walking on our way up, we noticed there are no lights on the path or the road it leads to, so we start down before it gets too dark. There are motorbikes on the road coming down the mountain, so you have to be careful as it is so steep. You can't trust they will stop or see you, and there are a few bends in the road to make it more adventurous as well. We try different restaurants every night, but have one that we eat in a couple times. It is the cheapest, the simplest, and the tastiest, so is by far our favorite. It's owned by a Thai couple, and they have my favorite dish on the menu, green papaya salad. The two main businesses in the village seem to be scuba diving places and tattoo parlors, and the age groups that go with those two things. There were a few older people, but mostly people in their 20s. There's a guy named No, who sits on the steps that go down to the beach who asks us every day if we want to go island hopping in, on his boat. Today we say yes to no. We negotiate, and he agrees on a flat price to take us island hopping. He takes us to Monkey Island, which turns out to be rather close, kind of around the corner, and still part of the island we are already on. We could have swam there. We do some wonderful snorkeling and see some beautiful, brightly colored fish and corals, and we get back into the boat. We ask No if he can take us somewhere else, as we are meant to have him for a couple hours. And he did say, island hopping. He says no and refuses to go anywhere else, but keeps asking us if we want to go to Kofifi Lei tomorrow. We argue, and he finally agrees to take us around the other corner of the cove and points to another beach. It looks nice, but he won't let us get out uh, uh, to go onto the beach and keeps the boat going, taking us back to where we started, inside the cove, to drop us off. When he drops us off, he asks again if we want to go to Kofi Filet. We think if today is an indication of how any other trip with him might go, we will say no to no. Not a good businessman. On a sadder note, Kofifi Don was also one of the places the worst hit by the tsunami that hit Southeast Asia in 2004. While we were there, we thought about the locals and tourists and what they might have been feeling when they saw the wave come in, and we found some videos on YouTube. It must have been so scary. The hotel we are in was badly hit because it is one of the lowest points on the island, 
and is directly in the path as the waves would have come in from both sides and hit in the middle. The wave that came in from the front was about 10 feet or 3 meters high and from the other side, the side with our view, about 6 foot 5 feet or 2 meters high. Anyone in the lower floors of the hotel would have been hit. We saw a video taken from the third floor of our hotel where the large fountain in the middle of the swimming pool was almost entirely covered. It's about one story high. We looked up some stats online and they said about 70% of the buildings on the island had been destroyed and at the time the article was written, approximately 850 bodies had been recovered and over a 1,000 were still missing. We don't know what the end number was. The locals we talked to said about 4,000 people died, even though it's impossible to know how many. We are back in Wuhan, starting our Saturday with a street food breakfast in the Wuxiangliangfan area. Outside the covered market here, the entire street is always hopping, especially around mealtimes. There are lots of fruit stalls and stores and small restaurants that have different kinds of food they are preparing and cooking outside in front to entice the people passing by. There are things like dumplings, hot and dry noodles, which is a specialty in Wuhan, uh, big thin slabs of bread made in clay ovens and covered with a delicious chili sauce, or big flat grills cooking something that looks like a rice omelette. We decide to have this today. There is a thin coating of egg on the outside and sticky rice on the inside, with little bits of fried mushroom, green onion, and spices mixed in. It's sliced like square pieces of cake and sold three big slices in a takeout container for 10 yuan each, about two Canadian dollars. We also have some spicy buns that are five yuan each, about a dollar. John and I think it is the street food we will miss the most if we move away from China. It is 7.30 Saturday night, and there's a storm crashing outside. The rain is coming down like a flood, and the time between lightning and thunder is almost nil, so each flash of light brings a sound that almost bursts the windows. John and I have unplugged our computers and the TV, as the last time there was a storm, something popped, and our neighbor's TV never worked again. I'm still enjoying being in the library. Amy wanted to reorganize the nonfiction section, so I made some cool posters to explain what is where, etc. It was a big job, but I really enjoyed it. I still get to do the creative stuff too, so I have made displays for each season all year. Every class period, we have different groups of kids in the library who are in a spare I ask the ones who are good at art to join me, and we have lots of fun as the creation changes with each group of kids bringing different ideas. But I make sure we stick to the main idea. 
I have long conversations with these kids while we work, and also with other kids, and I get to know them in the process. If they need help with anything, I try to listen or give suggestions if asked, or connect them with people who can help them. The years I spent working as a counselor stroke therapist in the UK comes in handy, comes naturally. The kids who are in the tea houses also often come to talk about music or their lives or to play a little music, so I'm grateful to be here. Right now I'm working on a graduation display. I bought a face-sized mirror and placed it in the middle of the bulletin board and made a grad hat from black cardboard and placed it above the mirror. There are paths that go from the mirror to different jobs, different cities all over the world. But if you look in the mirror, it's your face that's graduating. I've also been learning to catalog. I asked Amy to teach me before as we had an order with hundreds of books arrive and she was plodding away at it, but she said she was okay, that she would do it. She might have been worried that I would screw it up. After I finished all my creative jobs, I asked again and she said okay. She wrote out the order of how to do it and as you, if you stick to the script, it's pretty easy. I'm happy that I'm learning a new skill. I've been asked to organize the library at the Foreign National School, which has been a little neglected. They want me to spend a few hours a week over there, so that's exciting. Who knew I was good at a particular kind of organizing? I guess it's kind of like writing a song or a story. It's taking stuff and reorganizing it or putting it in a kind of order. It's very satisfying. Blake, our principal, who came here the same year as us, is moving to British Columbia next year. Maple Leaf is opening up a school in Kamloops. They've been our neighbors for four years, and Blake and Sandy are the ones who helped, supported, and translated us through John's heart attack last year. We will really miss them. We know we are staying another year, and maybe we'll change our minds but we're thinking that it will be our last year here. We're counting down the days until we go back to Canada. Graduation ceremonies are tomorrow, and the party is next week. There are about 360 students graduating, and of all the graduating classes since we came to Wuhan, I think I know more students in this class than any other one. The first four years we were here, Only the grade 12 teachers were officially invited to grad, have chairs with their names on them, and sit at the front of the room during the grad ceremony. John attended all of them, but I didn't know that many students, and I also would have to sit or stand, possibly, at the back of a sweltering hot room for two and a half to three hours. The Chinese seem to like long ceremonies. This year, because I'm in the library, I'm invited and was told there's a chair with my name on it. Many of the kids have been asking me if I'll be there, as it's an opportunity to get a photo taken with your teachers, etc. There are quite a few kids graduating that were in my favorite class of all time, as well as many individual kids from different classes I taught or worked with 
in EAF or the Tea House or now see in the library, so I'm excited to go. It is now Sunday and the grad ceremony is over. It was a great show and lots of pictures were taken with students, usually by the parents. A few of the alumni kids showed up to the ceremony too, kids that have been in America or Canada and university for a year or two, so it was a day of reuniting, seeing the changes in different kids. John and I just got back from dinner. There's a knock on our door, and we open it to see Miser and Jim. They graduated about three or four years ago. I've spoken about Miser before. He was one of the original no-pop guys, is an amazing musician, and is now producing music and living in San Francisco. Jim was also one of the no-pop group. He has the singing voice of an angel, also plays guitar, and is going to university in Vancouver. It is wonderful to see how they have grown up, and we have a great visit with them. We play some music together, and it is a kind of icing on the cake way to end a fantastic day. I used to see commercials on TV advertising for people to become teachers. In the beginning of the advert, they would describe a certain kind of person and then slowly make it clear, then you should become a teacher. Even though I thought some of it looked interesting and therefore maybe I was one of those people, I always thought, well, it's too late now, or are you kidding, teenagers are scary, etc., But everything we do is for a reason, even when it doesn't seem like it. When I was very young, I wanted to be a spy or a teacher. The spy idea came from with TV shows like The Girl from Uncle and the teacher thing, probably because my mom was one. The ideas faded as the twists and turns of my life took me to different places and into different jobs. When I think back about sometimes working with teenagers in treatment centers and actually understanding what they were about or where they were coming from, and then meeting John and in awe that he was so good at teaching and then falling into the job myself through John and coming here. You never know what's going to happen. Everything you do will be useful somewhere in your life. I never would have guessed how absolutely rewarding it is to see young people coming into a place when their characters are there, but they are still learning who they are. Getting to know them and their quirks and carrying what happens to them, even the ones that caused me grief. Then watching them continue the journey, discovering and evolving through different things and people and experiences. Then they are standing there in front of you, and they are a fully formed person. Suddenly there's a different feeling, maybe something like a surrogate parent. There's a pride in knowing this person, and an absolute joy having watched the things that molded them, the evolution to what they have become. And now it's a different relationship. If anyone would have told me I would feel this way back when I lived in London, I would not have believed them. But today, I feel truly grateful to have had this experience. We will be back in Canada in time for Canada Day with the family. 
We will be there for the rest of the summer until we come back to Wuhan for what we think will be our last year here. That said, anything could happen. Thank you.